Boom. Boom. Athletics High Performance Podcast. Providing you with the performance training, college scholarships, coaching education, and elite athletic development. Now, your host, your host, Seth Boomsma. What is up, everyone, and welcome back to the Boom Athletics High Performance Podcast. Today, we are sitting down with Greg Kaler, an up-and-coming basketball coach here within South Dakota. It's been really fun to kind of see Greg grow over the past few years and and see the mutual athletes that we have been able to work with uh, throughout his AAU program and throughout us here at Boom Athletics. We touch a lot on Greg's uh, journey as a coach, you know, from his college days uh, to where he is now, including a little bit of touching on what his high school journey was like and what led him into coaching. We also touch a lot on the mindset and the competition and his motto of win anyway, which I think is an awesome motto to teach young athletes. And we touch a lot about what it takes to kind of reach that next level. And a lot of the recommendations he has from books to different videos and everything in between. I think this is a great podcast that you guys will really enjoy. So without further ado, let's dive into it. Greg, thanks for being on the podcast with me today. I appreciate you having me, Seth. So for those that don't know who Greg Kaler is, why don't you give our audience a background of who you are and what you're about? Uh, Grew up in Del Rapids. Um, Elementary and middle school is when I went to school there and uh, decided to wanted to move away. My family and parents were were near retirement and everything. So we moved up to Lake Madison and I graduated high school from Chester and played basketball there for four years. And after high school, went down to USD and had the opportunity to be part of the men's basketball program down there and learn from from those coaches and a lot of those players and and now we're just we're just coaching AU and and working and and that's it's pretty simple I guess so yeah so I I want to touch on a couple of your brothers because I know I know them pretty well I guess through through my brother and whatnot so your brothers are Tom and Ben mm-hmm. right. Has Ben ever told you any stories about us at USD Basketball Camp? Uh, no, I, I, he hasn't. I don't know if he remembers necessarily, but I certainly could ask him. <laughs> <laughs> we, had, we had quite a few fun times. One of my good friends, Jacob, and, and I would go down to USD Basketball Camp. We'd always hang out with Ben for a couple of shows. The five-day five overnight the five one. Day I remember going to those. At USD. Yeah, those, those were always the best. Now yeah. they, don't, they don't, SDSU and USD don't do them anymore. Those were like like best memories ever from, oh, from growing up. Oh, it was so fun, and, and we would just hang out all night long yeah. and do, do whatever we wanted to do. A lot of stupid do. stuff in the yeah. dorms as a high school kid, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But getting back to you, I want to ask you, what made you get into coaching basketball? Um, so, kind of to preface everything, um, when I was, was at Chester, I was never the all-star player or, or the guy who, who would get, you know, all the playing time. In fact, I was a bench warmer and I'm open and honest about saying that. And I got no, no fear in saying that. Um, I didn't work as hard as I possibly should have to become the player that I, that I am actually today. 
Um, but by the time I, I figured out that I wanted to pursue it, it was a little too late for me. I was on a very, very good team, a lot of talent. I mean, we made state my senior year in 2016, but when I was a junior, there were some eighth graders coming up who had a lot of talent, a lot of potential, and I kind of bypassed my personal development and started pouring into them, and we would be working out uh, you know, every morning before school, we would get extra shots up after practice, during track season, football season. So for my junior and senior year, I really bypassed my own, you know, growth and development and, and kind of poured into them. And that's when I realized, like, I, I love doing this. I love coaching. I love training. I love helping, you know, these guys, you know, push to their potential. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you, like, has that given you like a wider perspective? Like you said, you didn't like put a lot of time into your personal development and you probably regret it a little bit mm -hmm. to this day, but has that given you a bigger perspective and a lot better outlook on how you can develop other players? Absolutely. You know, I think the one thing that I really try and push to is to ensure that anyone I, I coach or work with or come across is I, I'm trying to, to ensure that they don't make the same mistakes that I did. Understanding that it's it's a process and it takes discipline and dedication and sacrifice to become successful in anything you do basketball football track it doesn't matter you have to be willing to put in the time um it, it gave me perspective and knowing that that when i would go home and complain about playing time uh, my parents would look me in the eyes and they would say you're not working enough you're not doing anything to ensure getting yourself on the floor which obviously you know today it seems to be a lot of an issue amongst kids and parents with coaches but for me you know I think that I got a head start at life throughout you know just being a bench warmer understanding that it, it wasn't about being the best player it was about being the best teammate it wasn't about you know making making the the big flashy play but making the one extra pass for the team and doing what was necessary to both lead and, and help our team win whether that be in practice or in the few minutes I would get every night mm-hmm so what kind of led you to want to start pouring your energy into the development of others? The relationship. Um, you know, I was a, only at Chester for four years, and so when you, it's kind of that new kid walking into the classroom, and eventually it was very small school, so you kind of get warmed up very quickly. Um, but just seeing the relationship I started to build with these, with these two kids and these two individuals, and they're still you know, very close. I'm still very close with them today. I mean, they're not kids I trained. They're, they're like brothers to me. And I'm not saying that, you know, as a cliche, like it's true. And we still hold that relationship today. So from that moment to now still holds true. It's all about the relationship. Mm -hmm. So what was kind of like your process like when you kind of realized, Hey, I'm not going to be a player. I'm going to be more of a coach. What went into your development of coaching? Like who influenced you? Who are your mentors? And, and what was that path kind of like? Well, you know, a lot of it was self-taught early on because I was still just trying to figure out. I mean, it was a puzzle at first trying to figure out where pieces went. Um, I think when I was still in high school, it was more so about just becoming a better leader. Now, I wasn't ever going to be the guy who led by example because I was hardly on the floor to do that. But by leading through through positive energy and through my words and, and holding others accountable and also showing that in practice, like I'm going to work really, really hard. No one's going to outwork me in practice. And so you're not going to be able to tell me otherwise what I say because, I mean, I'm proving it. Just because I'm not proving it on game day, it doesn't mean anything. But I would think from that perspective, it's just becoming the best leader I possibly could. Um, 
you know, my mentors, it, it, they really just varied throughout the years. I mean, I, I looked up to my high school coach. He was great. I learned a lot from him. And then when I got to college, I was around some of the best coaches in, in the area. I mean, Craig Smith right now is out in Pac-12 at Utah University. He was at Utah State. I mean, everywhere he's been so far, he's been very, very successful. So I've learned a lot from him. Uh, coach Eric Peterson, who's now the new head coach at USD, and I think he's going to do a great job down there. He was an assistant under Coach Smith when I was there. He's also another mentor who, even after he left and went to Utah State, has still continued to pour a lot into my personal growth and development. Mm-hmm. So I want to touch on that USD thing as well, because that was probably probably one of your biggest influences as well, mm-hmm. getting into coaching. You, you met a lot of really good players, a lot of really good coaches down there. What type of impact did USD have on you? Uh, immense. It was an immense impact. Um, I would not be as, and I'm just speaking personally, the knowledge that I hold right now in basketball would not be where it's at today without my experience at USD. Just getting to understand the process of, of the coaches and what they do on a day, daily basis to, to help the team win. Seeing you know the coaches instill those culture traits which I think, you know, kind of goes unnoticed with a lot of, you know, um, players and coaches and, and universities, teams, doesn't matter, organizations even, business organizations, is the culture that you present. And Coach Smith did a great job of, of having that positive culture of, of work ethic and, and just understanding that we have to play with the chip on our shoulder, um, as well as being around the guys, um, around those players and seeing, you know, obviously some, some work ethics is a lot different than others. Um, obviously, uh, some kids, you know, listeners might know who this is, but the guy who played down there was very successful is Matt Mooney, who went on to play at Texas Tech, finished runner-up in the national championship, and right now is playing overseas, but has had stints in the NBA. And so getting an up-close look and his work ethic and his sacrifice and what he was willing to do to, to achieve his goals and to be successful was something that I'll never forget. Mm-hmm. What years were you at USD? It was uh, graduated high school in 2016, so 2016, 2017, part of 2018. And you were a student assistant down there? I was a student manager, yeah, yeah student assistant. So, yeah. Yeah. so uh, I want to touch on, on Matt Mooney here a little bit because I know you guys are still pretty close to this mm-hmm. day. And I want to ask you, so young athletes can kind of relate to it. When did you know that Matt was different from everybody else? First day I got to go to practice. Um, you go through a process to become a student assistant, student manager, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I walk into the gym and it was like that feeling again. You're the new kid walking into a classroom. People look at the door and like, who is this guy? You know, he was the first one to go out of his way to walk up to me and introduce himself. Hi, I'm Matt. What's your name? Where are you from? You wanted to get to know me, everything like that. So that, that really you know, caught my attention that he stopped shooting around, walked across the gym to introduce himself. And that's the type of guy he is. So early on, like, I knew that he was, he was different than a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a good take home point for a lot of people too, is like, it was an off the court then where you first noticed he was mm-hmm. different. Um, now relating it to on the court, what about Matt's work ethic on the court? And what did you see that really helped him elevate to that next level that you kind of saw at your time at USD? He never left the gym, and as you know, a lot of coaches say that, but he he was always there. Um, when we got to start getting to know each other, um, he would ask me to come rebound for him, pass for him late nights, 
And so when I'm talking late nights, I'm not talking about 8 or 9 p.m. It would be 10, 11, even sometimes midnight where I'm getting a phone call or a text saying, hey, you come rebound and pass for me. And I was always just reluctant enough to just get up from whatever I was doing and go and help and be part of that and seeing firsthand what his work ethic looked like. Um, so seeing like all those unseen hours, all the hours where, where there's no one there watching, it's just him, the ball, and just focusing on his game, focusing on his craft, mastering the foundations of his game, everything to prepare for what he wanted, and that was to win games. I mean, it had nothing to do with how many points he scored or any awards that he got. It was all about winning, and so he was going to do whatever it took to win, mm-hmm. and that was one thing that will always, always hold true with him. Yeah, and you can see that at every level he's mm-hmm. been at, too. Um from USD, you went to Dakota State afterwards. Mm-hmm. What was your experience like at Dakota State? So Dakota State, I was I got to be an actual coach. It seemed like with with the men's basketball program, where I was more so focused on working out with our players as well as recruiting. And when you get to be a recruiter, quote unquote, is you get to sit next to other coaches and learn a lot from them and build those connections and and, and you know you know your networking tree. To where well, I'm now coaching in AAU where I have guys that will go on to play at the next level. That experience really helped me with my networking where I'm at today. Mm-hmm. What type of influence did Coach Garner have on you? I mean, Coach, Coach Garner is a legend, obviously. You know, he's, he's been coaching longer than I've been alive. So, you know, just, just his overall knowledge of the game. I mean, he, he knows an incredible amount about, about basketball. He's seen all the change. I mean, he played when there was no three-point line from Missouri and he was and he'll say if he got to shoot three-point line he'd probably be an elite shooter he was shooting like 38 percent from field goal which back in the day was really really good nowadays it's a little average and everything but um just his overall knowledge of the game yeah and if I'm not mistaken you and my brother crossed paths at DSU Mm -hmm. correct Mm -hmm. so what has that relationship been like for those that don't know my brother Brendan played basketball at Dakota State and that's kind of when Greg and Brendan you know he was the same kind of like Matt is it was one of the first days in the gym and and I know who he was he knew who I was we had just never met each other got to interact with one another and he he coached um like I said earlier these two kids that I started training in high school is he got to coach both of them we worked for the for the Pentagon back in the day and everything so he got to coach those two and so that's kind of how we we built that connection, and it was right away walked up. What's going on, man? It's happy to have you here. Everything like that. So it was that's that's where you know him and I started to kick things off. Mm-hmm. And kind of throughout these years, you started transitioning, starting getting into AAU coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, what was like your first AAU gig like? First AAU gig, my first team. Well, when I was at USD, um, I had a summer where we went worked. For the Pentagon, and usually when you're a college kid, you're never, you're not normally going to get the best of team. You're focused mm-hmm. on development, and so I didn't have the best of talent. But actually, what's funny is now that I saw those kids grow up and they're all graduated now, is all of those kids turned out to be really, really good basketball players. You know, um, so I think you know for that it was a learning experience and understanding. You had to understand that winning wasn't the most important thing which for a 19, 20-year-old kid who's just starting in his coaching career, it's kind of like, you know, I want to win, I want to win, I want to win. But ultimately, soon, very soon, I realized I got to develop these kids more than focus on winning. Mm-hmm. 
So I want to touch on a little bit on your 16U AAU team this summer. Um, we had quite a few mutual athletes in there, which I, by the way, I appreciate you sending a lot of these guys <laughs> to me as well. Um, but touch on your 16U AAU team this summer because they, they had a pretty successful run and had a, had a really good squad for you. Mm-hmm. We went 20 and eight on the summer, and we you know we lost some games that we probably should have won. But it's basketball; it's part of it. It happens. We're going to have our down games. Um, just a great group of kids, honestly. It had really nothing to, a lot of it didn't stem from what we did on the floor. It was, it was everything off the floor. I think, you know, one thing that gets bypassed in a lot of programs and a lot of other areas is the relationship and the, the memories that these kids can make while playing AAU. You know, so what was cool for me to sit and witness was when the games got over, kids didn't just go in separate directions. Now, they wanted to be with each other still. They wanted to go sit in the corner and We'll just be stupid kids, you know, and make those memories. And, and that, I think, was the coolest experience that I could have had this summer. But also just seeing all of their personal development. Um, no one remembers your AAU record. You know, obviously, I, I know just from being a coach, but, like, no outside spectator knows. They don't remember. You know, a recruiter doesn't understand. They don't know. They don't care. What, what's important is how you play and your growth and development. And what my main focus was that when they go back to their teams this winter, they're a much better player than they were when the season ended last, last March. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk specifics about a few of your guys, especially the guys that I have kind of seen and worked with, mm-hmm. such as Tage, Trey, Lane. Touch on those guys and their kind of development because I know – what I've seen athletically is they've transformed quite a bit, but they're also looking forward to really successful junior seasons. Mm-hmm. We'll go in order with what you did. I'll start with Tage. Uh, Tage is a freak. I mean, he, <laughs> he comes from a line, a line of very successful athletic brothers. In his older brother Trey's playing um, for football for Buena Vista, and his his brother Tice is playing football at DSU. Both won Dakota Dome, you know, too many times to even count. You know, they made it to state basketball, and they were very, very successful. So with Tage, he comes from a line of winners. And so he, he understands and does whatever it takes to win. And I think that's what makes him special outside of his, you know, his athleticism and everything. Um, where he saw a lot of growth this summer was just kind of just reading the game in, in a different angle. You know, sometimes when we go from small town Canastota, middle of nowhere, and you're going up to Minneapolis and playing against, you know, more f- quicker and more athletic kids that you're not normally used to seeing, like, that's good for him. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I'll mention about Tage is, you know, he's six foot tall, and I had taller guys on my team, but he would do the jump ball for me. <laughs> And uh, how, did, he, how did that go? He all he won all but maybe four. You know, we when we played any of the top teams from around the area, the schoolers or anyone else, and there he's going up against a six ten guy. He usually ended up winning. I'm not. He usually he cheats. He he doesn't meet it up top. He as the ref releases it, he basically grabs uh-huh. it out of his hand. And but he's that's the one thing I'll always remember about Tage is he never lost a jump ball. <laughs> and it, and Tage, from what I've seen on my end, is like. That dude's like committed, man. Mm-hmm. Like when I look at app workouts, we we have like athletes that do the app workouts, but it's kind of more when they feel like it. Tage is like one hundred percent, like completion percentage. Like he's locked in. If he can't do an exercise, he lets me know that he can't do an exercise. Like the dude takes it to another level. Yeah, and, and that's kind of what I've seen from Tage on my end. He's up early in the morning <clears throat> and and can't still a weight room. And even when we would go to tournament sitting in the hotel. It's like. Tage, why'd you go to? You didn't want to hang out with us last night. He goes, I go to, I go to bed early. I needed a lift this morning. 
So we'd have a game at 8 a.m. and he'd have a lift in before we would play. And that's just that just speaks volumes to his his overall dedication and work ethic. Yeah, and I I feel like once Tage graduates here, we need to get all those Ortman brothers on because. I still hold to this day. I think Tice is one of the, the freakiest athletes that I've worked with, nice. especially. I mean, mm. in terms of all-around athleticism, vert, pro agility, 10-yard mm. sprint, strength, like the guy is next level. Yeah, absolutely. So going on to some of the other guys that we kind of mutually work with, I want to talk about Lane a little bit as well. What, what did you notice most improve about Lane's game this summer? Um, you know, just kind of letting the game come to him a little bit more and understanding... You know, I think he really he grew in all aspects. I mean, like we took every summer I've got to coach him or be around him. He takes his game to a whole other level. Uh, and the one thing, the one comment that I got a lot about him was his overall competitiveness. Doesn't matter if we were up by twenty, down by twenty. Like that dude just grinded from start to finish, never stopped. Like he didn't want to just win. He wanted to kill everyone in front of him, um, which is, well, I'm sure we'll speak more about it later. It speaks to his mentality. Um, but his leadership aspect and understanding when to kind of maintain our pace. We were a very fast, up-tempo team. I mean, it started four point guards and then one big. So we were running a track meet out on the floor, just rebound and run, rebound and run. But sometimes when you play that fast, you're going to force a lot of mistakes, a lot of turnovers. And so I wanted to, you know, let him know that, you know, we got to be able to maintain, sometimes change our pace, slow down when we're getting tired or when we're starting to make mistakes. And I think that's the overall aspect there where his IQ and just game management really just rose to a different level. Mm-hmm. What do you feel like? So I've, I'm a, like, I'm, you and I are very similar. Like we, we like winning, you know, we like winning. We like character development, obviously too, but we believe legacy is kind of built more on winning. What do you feel like the experience of playing in a state tournament as a sophomore and being an all-state player for Lane has had on him going into the summer and in the offseason? Do you feel like that has impacted him? 100%. I think, and even for, you know, I had Nick Marshall who also played, and, and Nick growing up, you know, White River has made it to state tournament 14 years in a row. So, I mean, all, all that kid's life, he knows going to state tournament, going to state tournament. So, like, those guys understand, like, when you – it's a different level making it to the state tournament. You're going to play teams in their regular season that just aren't worth your time. You can walk in. You don't have to play a great game. You're still going to walk out with a win. And I think that sometimes that actually – can play a bad part in your your overall success and so you know there's going to be kids that we and i i'll be honest i did have kids that weren't used to winning they're coming from high school programs that don't have winning tendencies they don't have a winning culture they don't know what it means and when you can see it on the floor when the going gets tough and they kind of fold you know, that's it's one thing that the biggest struggle you try and find in AAU is under, like helping them understand what it takes to win. And he knew what it took to win. I mean, he had to be there. He got seventh place at state, which wasn't, you know, it was he wasn't satisfied with that. But he still got to play against the best of the best. Mm-hmm. I think I think the state tournament experience for a basketball player is, and really for any level, having that state experience. But getting to the state tournament basketball. It's a grind, especially mm-hmm. when you're in that B and A ranks, mm-hmm. just to make the state tournament. I, I still hold true. I'm a Class A guy, so I'm a little biased. But like <laughs> Class A, I think is the toughest state title to win, just because you get the blend of you still get like the good sized schools, but you get the blend of still having stars, 
with a little bit of depth mm -hmm. and there's 65 teams. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's super hard to win a state type championship. Hey, you know, I'm a class B guy, so we, yeah. we, we don't need to have this argument. Right <laughs> now, okay. But there's nothing, there's nowhere better than the state B's in the Barnett center in Aberdeen oh, with that environment. <laughs> yeah. But no, you're right. hundred percent. It's about, it's just a different feel. You know, like I feel like when you make it there, and I think, you know, even even when I made it as a senior, like it just felt different. Mm -hmm. Like there was just like a different level of intensity as well as focus that you needed to have in order uh -huh. to, to win. I, I want to touch on state tournament a little bit. Mid-August, early state tournament predictions. Who's your B and A champ? Oh, don't do that to me, dude. <laughs> you can't. I got too many, too many connections with, with everyone. You know, shoot. You know, for Class B, it's really hard to ignore Joe Saylor and White River. You know, uh, DeSmit graduating Kaylin and Red Austin, great group. And I think DeSmit still will be very good this year with, with Wilkinson and some of those young guys coming up. But White River is kind of hard to ignore yeah. as of right now. Now, you know, anyone's night can change. So, I mean, an Aberdeen Christian, they could make a run if they truly wanted mm -hmm. to. Castlewood. You know, they're going to be a really good, tough team this year, too, and B, they can make a run as well. Mm -hmm. State A's, again, hard not to ignore Dakota Valley, yeah. who won it on an undefeated season and bring back everyone. Um, so they're going, to be a really, they're going to be the team to beat. They're, they got the target on their back. But, you know, obviously Sioux Valley uh, graduated a few pieces, so it'll be interesting to see how they do still having Oliver and... And Squires with a couple young guys coming up. Dell's Dell's Pub, I think, is going to be a surprise to teams this year. Um, Ty Hogan taking over as his first year head coach. See if his young energy can can you know spark those boys. Uh, and I know they've got a few new pieces coming into the equation with what their returning pieces. And I think they're going to be a pretty tough team this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you said. Mm -hmm. I I I love. March state basketball. It's, like, it's the most exciting three days I think of. Yeah, you got you got sports. state basketball and then NCAA March Madness starts right after. Mm -hmm. So it is a great time of year. Absolutely. And another one of the mutual athletes that we work with, uh, Trey mm -hmm. as well. What have you kind of seen in his development? You know, I, I know he kind of comes from a program that hasn't had that state tournament right. experience for, mm -hmm. for a while. What has been the biggest jump for him this summer? A chip on his shoulder. 100%. Trey is Trey is the type of kid that you love to coach. And, and it has nothing to do with, with a lot of his like stats or analytics. It has everything to do with he will do whatever you tell him to do. Now, I, like I said, I started four point guards. So there were a lot of games, a majority of the games, where Trey had to guard guys that were a lot bigger than him. Taller, stronger, you know, more athletic. But he never ever wavered. He actually he he accepted that challenge and basically told himself, "I don't care if you're bigger than me. I'm going to lock you up. And it might be you might get me every now and again, but you're going to know when the game's over, you didn't best me in anything." So, just his toughness, his resiliency. He's just the most coachable kid anyone could ever ask for. Yeah. So I want to kind of bridge the gap here. You're, we're talking a lot about winning and mindset. You have wristbands that say win anyway. Mm -hmm. So what does win anyway mean to you? Well, let me answer your question with a question. What do you think win anyway means? Give me a definition. 
I think from the outside looking in, I, I would say that doing whatever it takes to possibly win, no matter what obstacle is in your way. Absolutely. I mean, it's basically, long story short, it's no excuses. I don't care who you're facing. I don't care what, what, how good the team is. If your matchup is better than you, if you're hurt and you got problems at home, you guys have been losing, coaches is on your butt, your teammates are being, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Win anyway. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Haven't made a shot in five possessions. I don't care. Win anyway. You're having a slump. I don't care. Just win anyway. It's, it's not like this elaborate, you know, trigonomic equation. It's, it's simple. Like, so when I started it, it's, it's just that. Like, you can't tell me anything. Just go win anyway. So when I started this, um, it was more so for like a motivation aspect of things for the guys that I train with and I work with and I coach is, is they have to work towards something because it's, it's not just, it's not about winning. Like winning anyway is the process. It's everything in between. It's all the, the, the hard stuff. And so what I wanted to like have them try and strive for was having and embodying that full mentality. And so what I did is I ordered two sets of wristbands. I ordered a red one and ordered a black one. Everyone gets a black one to start. And by getting a black one, what I'm trying to say is like right now, you're just like everybody else. Everyone's got a black one. If you're okay with being like everyone else, which you might define as being average, then keep doing what you're doing. But if you want to earn a red one, you got to be willing to show a lot of different aspects and only I get to decide if you earn a red one. So to earn a red one, it takes, there's a lot that goes into it. You got to show me high end results. You got to be on that floor, on that football field, on the track. doesn't matter. I'm doing it for football players. It's not just basketball. You got to show results and it's got to be consistent. Anyone can have their 20 point game and then go and have a stretch of eight point games for the rest of the season. That doesn't mean that that's not high end results. Your work ethic. Are you putting in the right, correct, necessary work in order to be successful? And it's not even just working. It's also about the recovery. It's also about the mental preparation. Are you sitting down and watching film on the game coming up? Are you stretching, you know, taking care of yourself, ice bath, nutrition after a hard and tough practice? you know, as well as, is getting on that floor. And then it kind of comes down to a lot of more smaller details. Like what type of leader are you? Are you the type of leader that, that guys want to follow? When I define leadership, I say, it's not about forcing control. It's about winning influence. So are you the type of leader that wins influence? And as well as just being a person of character, you're going to be, you know, a guy that's, you know, arrogant and has got his ego and is all about him beating his chest. Like that's not a guy who, who's about the mentality, but a guy who's, who's shows his humility and understands that he's got kids looking up to him. So he's got to provide an example. So there's a lot that goes into it and it kind of changes from guy to guy. It really just depends on if I feel like They've earned it. A guy who's elite. The elite of the elite are the only ones that get a red band. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I love that. So talk about, you touched on leadership there for a moment. And I want to talk about that a little bit because as you kind of said, every leadership style is a little bit different. And it also depends on if you're playing basketball, the leader of that team has to kind of read the room and what their team is like and what the identity is like. So who kind of like led you into your leadership style and how would you describe your leadership style? Uh, Craig Smith from USD, Coach Smith for sure. His just energy just never wavered any day. He was always just loud and upgoing and, 
and just never stopped. And so if you've ever, I mean, you know me well enough now that I mean, my energy is, is high all the time. And I think that's kind of just one thing that, that I've learned that it really does rub off on other people. The, the energy that, that you emit to others, so if it's going to be positive or negative, everyone's going to follow. So if I'm in a bad mood and I'm going to be you know, barking at my guys, well, they're going to be in a bad mood too. And more likely, they're just going to be mad at me for doing that. But if I'm positive, up, like, no, Ray, we're good. We're good. We're fine. You know, that they're going to follow suit and they're going to believe that. So what I talk about is like, just from a coaching standpoint is, this guy's going to make mistakes. Guy's going to make bad passes, going to turn the ball over. They're not going to box out and rebound. They're not going to sprint the floor because they made a mistake. So my rule is that if you make a mistake and you drop your head, that's when I'm going to confront you. Because I don't, I'm not going to tolerate that. There's no point. You got to have what I call next play speed. Moving on to the next play doesn't matter. So if you go watch, like, honestly, when I watched the uh, when NBA was in the bubble when the Milwaukee Bucks won, remember that it was that play. If you remember off the top of your head, and you can go on YouTube and find it. There was a, a play where Giannis was standing in the far deep corner, and the Phoenix Suns. It was kind of late game, and this was like a detrimental play. Is, is the Bucks turned it over and they were going down the floor. Forgot exactly who, but Giannis in the far corner, the ball got turned over on the top of the key. So like there was a big distance. Full sprint, chased the guy down, pinned it off the glass. Like that's a win anyway play. Mm-hmm. Like that's the guy who understands like you got to go after it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what you said there is actually a really good point too is like, and I was thinking about this, you know, like throughout really my time of, of running Boom Athletics is like, Athletes will take on the coach's identity. So mm-hmm. this goes for coaches as well because you can't bring in your outside baggage because if you're going to preach win anyway, you have to also win anyway yourself mm-hmm. too. Because like if I come in here and I have, say, you know, a bad day outside of the gym and I all of a sudden pour that into the athletes, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm too tough on them or I, I'm not focused or whatever I'm trying to do, they're going to take on that personality. So mm-hmm. then they think it's okay to show up five minutes later. They think, you know, it's okay to be scared, not ask questions, you know, whatever the case is. And I think that relates to coaches as well. It's not just athletes that have to win anyway. It's, it's coaches, it's mm-hmm. leaders. And that, that's how you develop it. And that's how you influence, you know, the, the youth athletes. Coaches and leaders are the decisive element. They, they set the climate, they set the weather. I mean, they, they do all of that and everyone else kind of follows suit. Yeah. So what type of, I know, I know you like to read as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm a big reader too. What type of books out there would you recommend or that have helped you? Number one, without a doubt, relentless by Tim Grover. I've read it probably three, four times now. And, and when I read it the first time, I, I was so hooked and captivated into it that I just kept on reading, kept on reading, kept on reading. What I realized was like, I'm not retaining any of the information. This is just like, it's just amping me up. So I had to read it again, slow down, take a pen, mark things that I really like. So number one book that I'll recommend to anyone for the rest of my life is going to be Relentless by Tim Grover. And he came out just recently with his second book, Winning, which is equally as good. Um, Number two, Atomic Habits by James Clear. It's kind of just dives into something a little bit different, more about your process, more about your life and how we can sustain a little bit more positivity as well as having the discipline and, and just the, the attitude of what it takes to, to be successful, anything you want to do. So really love that one. Um, you know, Relentless talks a lot about like the power behind an athlete's mentality. But then this next book, It Takes What It Takes, by Trevor Mawad 
kind of gets into like the more peace and the stillness of, of one's mentality, the balance. He talks about remaining neutral um, through it all, not getting too high, not getting too low, not necessarily always being positive, but never straying towards the negative, just always being neutral. I think the one thing that I always loved about that one is, is how easily it is to relate to, regardless of what it is. He talks about blocking out anything that's negative in your life, whether that's you know, um, social media really just plays a huge part in everyone's life nowadays. So like, what are you, who are you following and who are you interacting with? Um, are you following things that really like, you know, upset your mood, regardless if it's a person or a site? If you do, go on follow them all right now. What type of music do you listen to? Are you listening to, you know, to the sad country music about your dog dying or your truck, you know, blowing up or, or the, the vulgar, you know, rap type music that's talking about just things that aren't great. You know, if you're listening to that, that actually does bring your mentality down and it draws negativity. But at the same time, you can't just talk about being positive all the time. You know, you're telling me to be positive, but, uh, but I just failed my test. You're telling me to be positive, but I just played the worst game I've had in my career. You know, sometimes positivity repulses people. So staying neutral in that middle ground. Fourth one, really quick one, 100 pages. Um, actually, you might know it. It's a true story based from South Dakota. Is uh, The Richest Man in Town. It's a character book about just how you treat others. You know, the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. This is the best book for that. And this is like a good, like, I read it in middle school. And I'm, I just actually just reread it a few weeks ago. So even right now, it's still a good book to like just constantly go back to. It's a true story from Brookings. So it was a good one. Recommend that one for sure. Yeah. So when you talk about, you know, all this positivity and win anyway and leadership styles, I know you've been through obstacles probably yourself as well. Mm -hmm. What helps you get through a lot of your obstacles on a daily basis? You know, obviously you need to have the right circle around you. The people you surround yourself with is important. Um, you show me your five closest friends, I'm going to show you your future. So if you got five down and negative people, like you're going to be down and negative. But if you got five uplifting and positive people, you're going to be positive and uplifting. So the people you surround yourself with that authentically and genuinely care about you. And I'm saying authentically and genuinely for a reason. There are a lot of people out here today that they could care less about what you're going through. You know, um, what do I get in return for helping you type of mentality? And that's just not how it's supposed to be. So the people you surround yourself with is important. I think that right now, like my supporting cast, they're great. And I wouldn't want to trade any of them for the world. I got individuals I can go to for specific region, uh, you know, um, issues and everything like that. And so people you surround yourself with as well as just training yourself, um, understanding how you can get yourself out of things. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just go to be alone. And, and everyone talks to themselves, right? Every, and the fact is, you probably talk to yourself more than you do any other human being on earth. And so what you're saying to yourself is very, very important. So training yourself and knowing what to say to yourself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So those sitting at home are like, man, Greg is full of energy. He's, he's grinding on a daily basis. What does your daily routine look like? They owe, uh, so the first thing a lot of people do, they wake up and what do they do? They check their phone. So I try, to, I try to wake up and eliminate that right away. So I try to do, and this is kind of a new thing that I've been doing for the last couple months, is I wake up and I meditate. 
Um, nothing like, uh, you know, when I talk about meditation to a lot of my guys, they're like this, like the yoga, like om meditation. No, it's just, it's just deep breathing and kind of a visualization and manifesting of, of your day. So sometimes if, if I know I got a lot, so like this morning woke up, knew it was coming here, really wanted to visualize like how I wanted this to go, like some things I really were, was passionate about saying. But even if it's a day where, where I know I have to get a lot of like chores done, I need to go shopping, need to mow the lawn, do this and that, sometimes it's just planning your day in that 15 minutes, getting up, taking a contrast of a hot and cold shower, going back and forth, because that cold water really opens up your blood flow which kind of helps you just kind of stay in tune throughout the day instead of being down and groggy, kind of wakes you up a little bit. And then I, you know, just do anyone's normal morning routine, go to work, go home and enjoy my evening. Every now and again, if I'm done working, go do a workout with a guy if he wants to, but it's kind of pretty simple life, but that's how it is. Yeah. So I want to ask you a question, kind of a little off topic, but still kind of relative to basketball. Oh, it is basketball. But <laughs> we've been having this debate going on in our gym throughout our interns here this summer and athletes. And we've been asking this question. We know who the top two best basketball players are, are ever. You know, we're not going to get in that debate. We're, okay. we're different opinions on that. Yeah. Okay, but, we can if you want to. <laughs> but, but we'll go third best player of all time. Because this has been the hot topic for us here in the gym this summer. And everyone has like multiple different players so who would be your third best player basketball player you only ask me the third best player so you know i'm gonna put one. Oh yeah yeah it's, that, it's the greatest player of all time michael jordan we'll save that topic for another yeah. podcast <laughs> <laughs> okay you know six is a six and all it's but anyway i would imagine that for you you're gonna put you know kobe in the top two as well um man third best player of all time that's really tough obviously a lot of people are gonna say lebron um, and LeBron is. Oh, I was I was assuming MJ Brown would be top two. You're not putting Kobe in the top two. No, I listen. I I've had this debate with a lot of people too, and I I'm like the biggest Kobe guy, literally, Mamba mentality. Yeah, yeah, so, I, that's why. And I like know. growing up, growing up, I studied Kobe nonstop. Before every race I ran, I would watch just Kobe's muse and all mm-hmm. that stuff. It's great. But I I can remove my biasness towards it. Okay. And I can be a little bit more. So you understand? So we know yeah. that it's Michael and LeBron. <laughs> I. I, I would say I would say when it's all said and done, when LeBron breaks Kareem's all-time leading scorer, I think LeBron is one. Just yeah, long, longevity. That's what you know, like... You're entitled to your opinion. <laughs> it's wrong. Um, okay. I mean, if that's the case, oh man, you know, like I'm a big, I'm a big Wilt proponent. Ooh, that's a new one. Yeah. I mean, like, and everyone can say like, oh, he played against a bunch of bums, you know. You can't average 50 and 30 in a season and not be considered one of the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. You got Wilt ahead of Kareem. And that's a, that, that was my second one. It's like, do I put Wilt ahead of Kareem? Because like, if we're going to go greatest player of all time, like Wilt was just, he was dominant. Mm-hmm. early. In, like he, at the tail end of his career, was kind of when Kareem was at the beginning of his career. And so that's when the league was really starting to change a lot, you know, in terms of just the athletes were starting to get better as we've seen the growth in athleticism and, and players and their skills throughout the years. Like Wilt was just a force. There's no one to stop him. Mm-hmm. Like Bill Russell was the only one that could come close and he'd still give Bill Russell like 30 or 40. Mm-hmm. You know, so God, man, you know, I'm going to go with Wilt and stick by it. I'm going with okay. Wilt. 100 points in a game, can't not. He's top three. Okay. Yeah, because Kareem's my number three. Um, and we had, we had guys in here saying Kobe's number three. I just don't think being a Kobe guy, I just don't think he's, I don't even know if he's top five. It's honestly. tough. It's tough for you sure. Know, like it's, it's that top I, 10. Where, okay, Steph Curry just winning his fourth title. 
Is he in your top ten? He's getting there. Yeah, I, I think he's he's in my top ten. I, I yeah. think he's creeping towards that number five zone. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. him and Kobe he's, are kind of like the same right now. Yeah, me. I mean, I think I think if he gets one more, he's for sure. Yeah. It's no question. Yeah. I mean, he's one of the greatest point guards of all time. I think the greatest shooter of the basketball ever. That's what the sport the dude's is. Nuts. So winding down this podcast, what does the future look like for you? You know, just trusting God's plan. That, that's as cliche as it is. Just kind of, I'm putting everything with Him wherever He He wants to lead me to. That's where I'm going to go. Whether that's high school coaching, college coaching, continuing to to have an impact in summer ball. Maybe it's just going to transition more into the training. I'm just trusting Him at this moment. So absolutely. Well, Greg, I thank you for being on the podcast. Well, I appreciate you having me. It's not every day you get a. Come to Boom Athletics and sit and watch the athletes in here working, you know, they but they come to the best for a reason. Appreciate that. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs>